All right? All right, if you will be turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26, uh, we'll be in verses 26 through 30 this morning. We're continuing in our sacrament series. We're now going to take up the Lord's Supper. Uh, we discuss baptism. Do remember that one of the key things about baptism is that it's the inaugural sign uh, of, of our entrance into the covenant family of God. And it signifies and seals the fact that we are justified uh, by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that is either a declaration for the, the one who is old enough uh, and is being baptized, or it is the future hope for children that are baptized. And hopefully that baptism will serve as do a bit better job of speaking to you about your baptism, of, of talking to you as baptized ones, because it does matter. Now, the Lord's Supper is more for ongoing sanctification purposes, right? The Lord knew that we, we would be weak that we would often forget who and whose we are, that we would forget that we're forgiven, that we would forget that we walk in newness of life. And so he wanted there to be an ongoing sign, an ongoing sacrament or means of grace that would help us remember his love for us. As we've talked about on many occasions, you cannot love, you can't do the great commandments, you can't do the great commission unless you know how deeply you are loved right? Uh, because God first loved us, that, that makes it possible for us to be able to love him and to love others. And this is a visible sign in an ongoing fashion of God's deep and profound love for us as we get to bear witness to Christ's goodness to us week in and week out. So uh, before I read the text, let me give you the key truth that I would love for us to walk away with. It's this, Jesus gives us the Lord's Supper as an ongoing means of grace to nourish us in forgiveness and newness of life. Let me say that again. Jesus gives us the Lord's Supper as an ongoing means of grace to nourish us in forgiveness and newness of life. If you would give your attention to the reading of God's word, this is Matthew chapter 26, verses, uh, I'll actually pick it up, uh, 26 through 30. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it. And gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we step into this, I, I would wonder what helps to regularly remind you of the fact that you are forgiven, right? Because we, we all admit, if, if we were willing to be vulnerable, we forget, do we not? We forget how truly and deeply and profoundly forgiven we are, and you know that you forget if you ever experience shame or guilt, right? Shame and guilt are often associated with uh, sin or failing or imperfection or something to that, that, that register that causes us to think less of ourselves. We, we can't see ourselves as God sees us in Christ, but it is important for us to know how God sees us in Christ. If we are in union with Christ, we are clothed in his righteousness. The death that is due us for the sin that we have committed is swallowed up by life. I love that image. 
I love that image for what it speaks to. It's not that we are being further unclothed, as Paul would tell us in 2 Corinthians 5. No, we are further clothed in the raiments of eternal life. And that is a great gift to us that we need to be reminded of. And not just forgiveness, but how many of you struggle to believe that you are actually walking in newness of life, right? There's a, oftentimes a real dissonance with what is going on in our lives and the reality that is supposed to be happening in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, how many of us uh, on any given day just don't feel very saved or very filled with the Spirit at all? And yet, it is critical for us to remember that that's still the truest thing about us who are in union with Christ, whether we feel it or not. Now, it is a wonderful thing when it comes in phase and you actually feel like, wow, I really feel like the Spirit is at work. That is a great gift. And, and would love it if that was more the ongoing reality. But if your experience is like mine, given the, just the everyday nature of things, Every day's just not stellar, right? I can't use the word awesome very often. Uh, and if, if I do, you need to check to make sure I haven't had a stroke of some kind. And so it's the reality is uh, that life just plods along at times and doesn't feel like it's resurrected at all. But it is important for us to be reminded of that truth so that our eyes and our ears would be attuned to those realities so that where we can experience it, we get to. That's a great gift to us. Well, the Lord's Supper is one of those things that, that Jesus wanted the church to have, to be reminded of our forgiveness, which is so critical to us, and to be reminded of our newness of life, which is something we ought to seek uh, to cultivate and lean into. And so, uh, what we're seeing here is as Jesus is about to be crucified within an evening or so, he is having what is essentially his last meal. Actually, it's not the last meal, is it? But it's the last meal they know of before he is crucified and has to rise to newness of life. He does eat some fish with them a little later on. But this meal had particular uh, uh, meaning to it, right? They were celebrating something called the Passover, now, it's important that we recognize that this is a transition. He's transitioning them from one sign to another, from a sign that pointed forward to him in shadow, that pointed back to a historical circumstance, to a new sign that would give a fuller picture of the true reality of who and whose we are in Christ, of the eternal reality. See, the Passover was not eternal, right? It was a historical event. They were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord, in great mercy and grace, heard their cries. And he delivered them through ten plagues, the last being the worst, which was the death of the firstborn. And so they were delivered by sacrifice. And so, you remember, they crossed the Red Sea. The Egyptian army is swallowed, and they break out in the first praise song. Uh, Miriam led the first praise song on the far banks uh, of, of victory for God's people. And so that was the historical event that they celebrated over and over and over again to remind themselves that they have a God who can move sovereignly in the midst of history to deliver his people from slavery and evil and wickedness. That's a wonderful thing to remember, but it wasn't an eternal deliverance as of yet. 
right? It pointed forward to the Christ who would come as the Passover lamb, to the firstborn who would die for them so that they would have eternal life. So he is taking the the beauty of the Passover and displaying to them the promises fulfilled. Remember, he is the yes and the amen to all of God's promises. And so in this meal, uh, something very profound was happening. He took bread and he broke it. And he offered it to them all. Remember who all was in attendance at this meal. He offered it to them all, and he said, take and eat, this is my body. Now, he had spoken previously about this meal that was coming and some of its significance. If you remember, it was one of the kinds of sermons that shrunk the church. It was a Scottish revival. 4,988 people walked away. If you remember, there were 5,000 gathered. There were 12 left, and he even turned to them and said, are you leaving too? And they gave a confession of faith. They said, no. You have the words of life. We may not know all of what it means, but you are the one who has the words of life. No, we're not going anywhere. And so they knew that there was something coming related to his body being given for them. And so he wanted them to have something that they would regularly have before them. He he used common elements. It's not any sort of special bread per se. Uh, It's just the bread that they had on hand. And, and he, he broke it and he gave it to them so that they would have this as this ongoing reminder. This also is evidence of how God works. God works through ordinary instruments, right? Just like that bread, he works through you and I. We are ordinary instruments in the Redeemer's hands who've been redeemed in union with Christ, who need to be reminded that you are so loved and so forgiven that the Lord would never let you go. He will not give you up. This is the assurance of our pardon. This is why week in and week out, we make sure that we remember who and whose we are, that we be assured because week in and week out, we are assailed on all sides with either doubts or our own sins or the sins of other people or the lack of encouragement that so often that, that, that can beset us, right? And so we need Week in and week out to be reminded. Now, some of you may be thinking, uh-oh, I think we're going to weekly communion. I'm not opposed to that uh, <laughs> under some circumstances. Uh, but, but we do have the elements of our liturgy, uh, and the table is something that helps to bolster that in visual and, and other uh, sensory form. We actually get to taste and see that the Lord is good. And I'm so thankful for the folks who make the bread uh, and make it actually good to taste uh, when I was in Canada, we took communion. <laughs> it was cardboard, I think. Uh, it's just what was on hand, I believe. Uh, but it is a gift to be able to actually taste something that is a, a true reminder of how sweet it is for Jesus Christ to forgive sinners such as us. And to do so in such a fashion that boggles our imagination. You need to, if you don't, regularly remind yourself and those around you that their sins are forgiven past, present, and future. Now, if we believe that was true, how would we fight with one another? If we believed that Jesus forgives us our sins, past, present, and future. Now, let me be very clear here. This is not to let anyone off the hook of needing to uh, say they're sorry or needing to make restitution or those kinds of things. But if you believe that to be true, it would be easier for you to move towards someone that you've offended. And it would make it easier for them as offended party to move toward you and receive you, would it not? 
See, this is why it is so important for us to be reminded of how truly and profoundly forgiven we are. Think about how it would affect all kinds of things, not just relationships, but the way we view the world. Think about how it would affect our hope. Think about how it would affect our demeanor on a regular basis, our countenance. What ought forgiven people look like? Shouldn't they have some measure of joy? Shouldn't they be quick to forgive others because of how deeply they've been forgiven? You don't think your friends and neighbors and co-workers would benefit from somebody who's quick to forgive being in their sphere of influence? What a gift it is to have people who, who are able and willing to do that, but just as Jesus said of the woman who comes in when he's at Simon the Pharisee's house, you may remember this story, she risks her life to wash the feet of her Savior with her hair. And the Pharisee says if Jesus knew what manner of woman this was that was touching him, he wouldn't let her do it. And Jesus says to him, let me tell you a story. <laughs> this is what Jesus always kind of did. And he, he makes sure he understands that the profound debt that, that, that has been forgiven, must, that should affect us. To whom much is forgiven, right? Uh, they will be insanely forgiving themselves. To whom one who knows how deeply they are loved, they themselves are deeply loving in return. And so this is the economy. This is what we should be reminded of on so regular a basis. Uh, this is what the gift of the bread is to us. And it's not just that it's the bread. It's not just forgiveness because that would, that would be fair enough, I suppose. He could get us back to zero and say, all right, I got you back to zero. Okay, got you clean slated. Now I'm going to turn it over to you. It's your job to keep it perfect. How many of you... If that were the economy of the gospel, would be bankrupt by now. How many of you would have been bankrupt just on the ride in this morning? Actually, Susan was driving, so everyone in the world was safe on my account. When I'm chauffeured, I am docile. Well, kind of. Mostly. Mainly. And so that would be a terrible actual gift to only get us to zero and then leave it to us in our imperfection and ongoing weakness to try to maintain it. That's not what he did. Notice as the meal went on, he took up the cup and he said, this, this is my blood of the covenant. And in some translations you'll notice say the new covenant of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, We've talked about this a little bit before. It's worth saying again. So what is actually new about the new covenant? Well, what's new about the new covenant is that all of the old covenant promises are fulfilled in Christ. What we once could not do, which is enjoy God's presence without fear, uh, the, right, the wrong kind of fear. There's a healthy fear and awe we ought to have, but to, to not run from God, but to run to God. This is what the new covenant affords us the ability to do. We don't have to continue to slaughter animals over and over and over again to try to atone for what's only temporary. The new covenant allows for us to truly rest in the Father's arms, to truly rest in who and whose we are, to truly rest in knowing that we are forgiven, that allows us now to walk in a newness of life that was utterly impossible without it. And so this reminder, this great gift is to say to us, not only have you been forgiven, 
But you have been empowered. You've been empowered to enjoy God's love. In fact, that's one of the places I think that we probably fall some of the shortest, if I had to say. Like, we want to jump to the do, right? We, we want to jump on in there. All right, what's some stuff I can do? Well, the first thing you can do is know that you are loved and take great joy in that. Rest in that. Get that down pat first, and you will be of grand benefit to everybody around you. You will not approach them with anxiety. They won't have to carry the burden of your ego anymore. They will get to enjoy one who is loved of God, who then loves in return out of that, right? So this is the great gift of the table, is that it speaks so beautifully to us. Take and eat, sons and daughters of God, you are loved. You have been forgiven You have been filled with the Holy Spirit to walk in newness of life. You get to go from here and take and enjoy the Lord's Day Sabbath because God is good. Work will come Monday. This is the day on which we feast on the goodness of God. And it is important that we recognize that, that this must come first before any of the other things make any sense at all. And so Jesus wanted them to have this fulfillment of what was, what was temporary. That the Passover pointed forward to him. It pointed forward to the fact that, that God would eternally save, but the Passover itself didn't signify or seal that eternal salvation. The Lord's table points back to the historical reality of the crucifixion of Christ. Christ was a real man who died on a real cross for a real people that he loved really. And he was a real man who rose from a real grave because he was really dead. And now he's even really more alive in resurrected newness of life. And he really imparted that to us with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You and I are filled with that spirit of resurrected life that brought him forth from the grave. That should make us a humble people. That should cause us to be much more patient with things, right? It's a help to us. But too often, if you're like me, you just don't think about it. The tyranny of the days causes you to be focused on the tasks at hand and to treat people as tasks or barriers to tasks. Whereas the great gift is to be reminded, and it's good that the Lord reminds us often, right? That he weekly grants us the opportunity to gather together as beloved not needing to do anything to impress him, to earn his love. But we get to be with one another. We get to be with him, and we get to be nourished by the table. Now, our particular view of the Lord's table is, uh, is Calvin's view, which is the, the, the position is something called spiritual presence, right? So you've got the Catholic view and you've got the Lutheran view, that uh, I won't go into the consubstantiation and transubstantiation per se, but they believe, have beliefs, that there's actual body and blood either in the elements or around the elements. The memorialist view just views, ah, it's just something we do to be reminded, but nothing actually really happens all that much. We don't hold either of those positions. Our position is, no, the Lord gave this to us to really nourish us, and what would he nourish us in? If it is forgiveness of sins and newness of life, what realm would that occur in? It's going to be in the spiritual realm, but have actual implications in real time and real places, right? 
It's still a historical reality, but it is spiritual nourishment to us, which is why you may not feel a whole lot when it happens. It'd be great if when the bread hit our tongue, it tingled, maybe, I don't know what, if that would be great to you or not, but if it was like Pop Rocks, and then you felt like, oh, something's happening. Uh, maybe we'll get Sonia to put some Pop Rocks and <laughs> see, spice it up a little bit, I don't know. Uh, but, but so often, because it's ordinary, we're ordinary, these are ordinary days, so it seems it just tastes like a little piece of bread, and I don't know that I feel all that different. But something is really happening because Christ, who is faithful, said it would. Do you know that he's interceding for us right now? Every single one of us, he is interceding. I don't know exactly what he may be saying, but it's probably something like, Lord, help them know how much I love them. Help this service serve, that table serve, to nourish them in my profound love for them because you love them first and you love me and you called me to die for them and rise for them so that they could enjoy that love forever. And so this is a great gift to us that, that the Holy Spirit is at work in this table. While we don't feel a whole bunch, the Spirit is uh, basically taking and nourishing us in and through the great host, Christ himself. Not, not, not his physical body, but his finished work applied to us, reminding us again and again and again because we need it. We forget over and over and over. This is very important, that you understand that we believe something is happening. It's very important that you understand that it's in the power of the Holy Spirit that it is happening, that Christ remains physically present at the right hand of God, and the Spirit carries our spirit before that throne to hear what? What would you hear if your spirit was carried before the throne? Go away condemned? I love you, you're forgiven. And remember that. And as you depart, go in newness of life, filled with the Holy Spirit. Blessings upon you. Or something like that, right? Uh, we can workshop some other stuff. But it is important for us to think about that. Like if you were to come before the throne right now, yes, yes, the accuser would have much to say. Yes, the accuser would have plenty of evidence from these days. Am I right, Tennessee Vols fans? How'd it go last night? <laughs> so there'd be plenty of evidence. Nobody's arguing that. But the evidence wouldn't matter because the great king has declared us sons and daughters of the God Most High. And so this is the great gift to us. And the great thing about the table is it also points forward to the marriage supper that will come. Notice in this text, he says, I will not drink again of the vine. Uh, I will not drink again of the vine until I am with you all together. So he is reserving a particular blend of wine, new, that we will all take together, that will probably be like pop rocks. It'll probably make something happen when we take and drink and eat together again with our king at the marriage supper of the lamb. We ain't got to worry about feelings in that sense. It will be there. We will be overjoyed and awed, and I can't wait to taste this new wine with our king. And so he gives it as the promise of hope. So Jesus, again, is fulfilling the Passover transitioning to a new sacramental sign that more uh, fully uh, displays the truth of who and whose we are. 
This is why we celebrate it. And listen to what Westminster Larger Catechism question 168 says. The question is simple. What is the Lord's Supper? Answer, the Lord's Supper is a sacrament of the new covenant in which by giving and receiving bread and wine, according to the pattern set up by Jesus Christ, his death is shown forth. Those who worthily take part feed on his body and blood to their spiritual nourishment and growth in grace. Have their union and communion with him confirmed and testify and renew their thankfulness and commitment to God and their mutual love and fellowship with each other as members of the same mystical body. Now, how do you prepare for receiving the reminders of forgiveness and newness of life and the elements of the Lord's table? This will be a discussion we'll have over the weeks coming, but it's worth you thinking about. Do you, uh, uh, do you take time to, to, again, celebrate, be reminded of how truly and profoundly forgiven you are? This is one of the reasons why we send out the preparatory letter for, uh, for each Lord's Supper. Uh, for you to, to, to stir something within you. Usually it has a, a quote of some kind and some things for you to pray for and consider. You can use that or not, uh, but, but it would be wise for all of us to have some way in which, before we ever get in this room, to just have some consideration of how forgiven we are and, and that it would empower us to walk in newness of life, right? That something actually happens every Lord's table, Despite the ordinariness of the man who oversees the table, the flawedness of the man who oversees the table, the, the flawedness of the elements themselves, whatever they may be, the process itself, whatever that may be, it's still something profound happening at the mystical level. For those of you who don't like mystical, I don't like that word. Well, it just means mystery. It means of spirit. It means, it means that it's happening outside of of, in some measure, our being fully aware of all that it means. You may not like that either, but that's the majority of the spiritual life, is it not? And so I want to encourage you, and again, we're going to talk about this in weeks ahead uh, in the coming sermons, some of the practical ways in which we can prepare for the Lord's table. But the first thing you've got to do is make sure that the first thing you consider is how truly loved you are. And so what a gift it is on a day where we have heard that message, the original words of institution from Christ himself, that we get to taste and see, yet again, that the Lord is good. So this table is for all who profess Christ as Savior. It is for all who recognize the, their own brokenness and sinfulness, and even more importantly, all who understand that they are beloved of God. Maybe you're working that out in some ways, right? Maybe, maybe some of it's a struggle at times, but this is where the, the beauty of the work of the table is good for you. It can help you grow in understanding how truly loved you are. It can help you grow in recognizing Christ, the depths of, of Christ's salvation for your justification. It can help you grow in progressive sanctification. It is a gift to us in this regard. But if you're not a believer, you don't believe that you need Jesus, this is not much of a lunch you shouldn't take. And then the only other category who shouldn't take are those who are harboring uh, an unyielding unforgiveness towards someone else. Now, you can be in conflict and trying to work it out. The table will help nourish you to be patient and kind and pursue reconciliation. It doesn't have to be resolved for you to take at the table. The table is a help to you. 
But if you have someone that you think is utterly unworthy of the redeeming work of Christ, you can't take of this table. It's a table of forgiveness. It's for you to fail in some measure to understand how truly broken you are. That Christ would save you and that you would withhold that from someone else. I get it. It's complex in this world and some of the things we've all been through. But forgiveness is what we are called to. That is not something that is cheap. Christ laid down his life for it to happen. And so, for everybody else, you should take and eat so that the Holy Spirit can nourish you. And I want to just remind us of what it was that he said to those he loved so dearly and he had spent so many hours with and so much time with. He took and he grabbed the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body and it is given for you. It's gift. You didn't earn it. There's nothing you can do to make it more worthy. There's nothing you can do to make yourself more worthy. It is only because of the profound and an incomprehensible love of God that we are able to take and eat. So when you receive the bread, if you would, meditate on God's love for you, his, his, his just inexplicable willingness to save you, and not just save you, but love you, And then as the meal went on and he took the cup and he raised it up and he said, this, this is my blood spilled for the forgiveness of sins, for the the fulfillment of the new covenant. So not only does God love you, he empowers you so that you can enjoy that love and you can help others to enjoy that love. And so as you receive, would you again consider how you are forgiven and consider how you might walk more in newness of life. Ask the spirit to help you see ways in which he would use this ordinary table, on this ordinary day, in this ordinary service. If the elders would, go ahead and come forward. Let me pray for the elements and for us. Father, thank you that Christ gave his body. He wasn't forced to do it. He did it out of love for us because you loved him. And he, in witnessing your love for him, wanted us to also experience that same love. And so he covered the distance between us that sin had created, separating us from you who are holy. And God, he, he imputed to us his righteousness. His blood covers us, cleanses us of our sin, while also bringing newness of life to us. It is resurrected blood that courses through our veins. Would you help us, Lord, to taste and see today of your goodness. Help us be more in awe of your love for us. Help us to be more overwhelmed by how profoundly you care for us in the ongoing way in which you stay involved in our lives. Thank you that the Holy Spirit is at work in us even now. May it bear much fruit for your glory, our joy, and for the life of the world. Amen.